And once more, what's involved? A special guest, as always. And I love chatting to, to interesting people, people who can bring insights and learnings and people who can add value. Uh, my special guest today is Sarah Bullen, and uh, she's just recently released a book called The Love and Above, A Journey into Shamanism, Coma, and Joy. Hello, Sarah. Morning, David. Okay, so let's, let's, let's dive into this. But the last time I spoke to you was in 2020, when uh, you and, and Kate had uh, released a book called Write, uh, Write Your Book in 100 Days. And I was, I was left with the impression of, of Sarah as an incredibly dynamic, strong, focused woman that just knew exactly what she wanted and was carving a very successful career for herself. And suddenly this book landed on my desk and I was like, wait, what? So let's dive in right from the beginning, Sarah. This book, A Journey into Shamanism, Coma and Joy. How did that come about? Why did it come about? Well, this book was 10 years in the making. So this book covers a, a journey I went through um, that started in 2009 and really probably only ended um, last year. And the book will cover, as readers will start to realize, a, a, a quite a mad unique adventure. Um, the adventure began with my husband being diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, and at the time he was studying to be a sangoma uh, already. So he's already involved in work that involved seen and unseen worlds. And the diagnosis of tumor was quite a medical shock to him on a medical level, but a very exciting moment in the world of working with spirit and ancestor. So that's where the book begins, David. It begins in this really crazy place where we're young and happening, um, living our best lives. I'm a journalist. I'm a magazine publisher. I'm already a published author back then. I had two books um, already on the shelves. And at the same time, my husband is starting to move into a world of healing um, in a very different way. Um, and that's the beginning of the book. And of course, as we're going to discuss over the course of this time, the, the, the story starts to snowball into very unexpected places. Um, and the book was, you know, you're absolutely right. I am a literary agent. I am a professional ghostwriter. So I write books for, on behalf of celebrities and business thought leaders. I've written 14 books. And, and this was the book I didn't want to write. I couldn't write. Um, it was too close, too personal, too revealing, too crazy what happened. But in the middle of lockdown, I met with a publisher pitching some fabulous authors to them. And they said to me, Sarah, no, we want your story. And that is how this book came onto the shelves this year in 2022. Um, and seems to be spiraling out and uh, <laughs> and captivating people with its absolutely madcap journey. And it is. It, it, it is a madcap journey. And, you know, some of the things are, and, and, and to me, what, what struck me is your preconceptions uh, that a person can have about somebody else. Um, because, as I said, after the first interview, there was one Sarah that I, that I got to know, and uh, going through this book, there's a totally different Sarah. And I cannot imagine, you know, in retrospect, 
going through this and, and having the courage to write the book, number one, and say, okay, this is this is me, you know, what's and all, this is me. Um, and this is what happened and what happened uh, with, with my husband and, and his journey. And then the other things that happened to you, it was like every time, you know, I thought, okay, all right, light at the end of the tunnel. And it seemed that the light was an oncoming train. So um, let's, let's get into that a little bit, a little bit more, Sarah. So when this diagnosis happened, um, it, it was, it must've been a massive shock. I mean, tumor is nothing to, to, to mess around with. So what did you guys do from there? Well, the, the, it came very unexpectedly. He was 34 years, uh, 36 years old. Uh, sorry, I, I'm having to stretch back now. Sorry, he was, I think, 38 years old when he got the diagnosis, 41 when he died. So it was always a sum zero game. So the diagnosis at the time was, it was a fast growing stage four brain tumor. Um, and the doctors pretty much said, you know, go home, have a good time, spend time with your children and your wife. Um and, you know, make the most of it. So he, he absolutely opted for the medical route. So there was a brain surgery and then a course of chemo. But on the side, already a parallel healing journey had begun in which he was seeing illness in a very different way. He was already working with a very well-known Sangoma, Colin Campbell, and Colin passed him on to his brother, Neil. And Neil Campbell works very specifically with what they call twasa, which is working with people who have a calling from the ancestors to um, work with spirit in a different way. So my husband started that journey. And there were, so there we, you know, there he was going through all these treatments and MRIs and medical wards and, and chemo and radiation on his brain. And at the same time, in our backyard, we were building Ndumba prayer huts. We were um, having medicine huts brought in. There was a drumming and chanting. There's an absolutely hilarious scene in the book um, in which, you know, my husband and his teacher and the children are skinning a genet. So there was a lot of stuff that we weren't exposed to. We were suburban. You know, I was, I was living what I still call in those days a normal life. Mm. I was living a normal life. I had the picket fence. I had the Labrador. I had two lovely children. I had a good job. Um, and life seemed to just be, you know, one trajectory. But the book is starting to show people that these things we hold out, this journey we think we're on, life will show us a different way. <clears throat> so it, it can happen in an expected or unexpected. But that was one existence. And all of that was about to be taken away from me. And so as the readers progress, they're going to start to see that this world that dealt with disease in this different way, it didn't say, how do we get rid of this? What do we do with this? It says rather the ritualistic and more traditional cultures go, how do I work with this? What is its role in my life? And how do I navigate this illness? And we started going down that path. And as the book progresses, I am getting more and more, and I was getting more and more pulled into this world. It was inevitable. Because suddenly, suddenly, I was being shown just a different way of living, a different way of thinking, a different way of working with life. And it was something that I think my soul had been very thirsty for. Um, 
I hadn't seen these things before. I had, you know, gone to university, studied, been professional, built a business, and I hadn't yet seen that there were so many other paths. I hadn't explored them. I was walking the path my parents had showed me. And, and another path started to open up for us as a family and me as a human that suddenly felt quite wildly exciting. Um, and that path started to become deeper and deeper and richer and richer as the book progresses. But also initially, I mean, it, it, it scared you a little bit. I mean, there was there was a, a time that uh, you spoke to your, your your husband and you said, you know, this is this is getting a bit hectic, you know. I mean, it it sort of seems to be taking you away from from myself and from our children. Um, and yet, he was adamant, wasn't he, that that was a path that he had to take. That was right. So, so really, in the first sort of third two thirds of the book, I'm like, I'm I'm angry. I am resentful. I am finding this really interesting, but I'm having to earn the money. I'm having to raise the children. He's disappearing up into the bush for months on end in Botswana, um, working in vendor with uh, various things, shooting documentaries as he goes. And I was getting more and more angry, upset, vengeful. Um, Those kind of scary early days of cancer had somewhat evaporated And what I was left with was, okay, well, this is all going to be fine. And I want my life to go back to normal. I want, you know, a a regular family. Um, And that just wasn't happening. And I was fighting it on so many levels. Um, I was trying to trade water, keep the family afloat, earn the money, have a job, manage a a business, run a a man who was quite sick and doing crazy things. Um, And so this was also playing out on a very human level. And being a journalist at the time, I was also doing a huge amount of research into all these things. And I was was very determined to prove that they were not factually or scientifically sound. You know, these prayers we were doing, these rituals up in the bush, these steaming and medicine, these chants and this drumming, my my rational brain was going, why is this working? Um, But at the same time, it didn't matter because there I was in these places and in these spaces. And some part of my heart was feeling, this is more real. This feels right. So these crazy things were happening. And I can read a little bit of um, one of the times we were up in Botswana um, out of the book, um, the night is electric and the drum straight call stretches out into the air under the African stars. There are heated conversations in the hot African bush. Over lunch, we talk about a growing flood of Westerners who are coming to find answers for life in traditional cultures. Neil Campbell believes the soul is searching for older ways that are more in tune with the earth. Another guest that night in the wide open land is Henry Fletcher from London. He too feels that disconnect and has been called to the bush to discover a deeper relationship with the earth. Earlier that night, we crawled together into a traditional African steaming hut up in the, under open skies. Before we entered the hut, we danced in a circle under the full moon in the middle of the bush to the sounds and the screams and calls of our own voices. And then we sat in the hut around a fire and we chanted and sang as the drums beat faster and the songs got louder. Herbs were put on the fire, herbs, herbs for joy and beauty and luck. And when the songs ended, it could have been hours, or it could have been even days later. It was timeless. 
And then we crawled out of the baking, steaming hut. Henry Fletcher looked at me, his face broader the grin. This is totally wild, he said. I felt it wild, wild without drugs or clubs, without a thumping bass or a cracking hangover. I had found some wild rapture under ancient skies and on ancient lands. And um, I think that sort of sums up a little bit of what we were starting or I was starting to connect with at that time. Um, and I just finished this chapter and I've jumped ahead saying the weekend was over all too soon and I caught a British Airways flight back to Cape Town. As we lifted off and left the stark plains of the semi-desert of Botswana, I found myself seated by a sales manager of a magazine I was working on. He was flying home from a work meeting. How's Llewellyn? He said with a concerned look in his eye. I hear he's on borrowed time and I'm so sorry. How are you and the kids? It was as if a dose of cold water had been thrown in my face. It was so unexpected and foreign. I'd left that world so far behind. Other than six monthly MRI scans, that was not a reality in my life. Oh, no, I said, you have it so wrong. He's amazing. Oh, he said, fantastic news. My brother-in-law had the same tumor, and he only made it six months. I can't believe Llewellyn's doing so well. He asked where I'd been. I was worried I had a crazy look in my eye when I told him about the medicine journey and the ceremony. Isn't that woo-woo stuff a bit scary, he asked. I thought of the bugs and the flies. I thought of last night singing in a tiny hut that it felt as if it was soaring in a charmed sky. I thought of Henry Fletcher heading back to South Kensington. Yep, I grinned. It is totally wild. And, and it's amazing because as you, as you journey with you through this book, you know, initially that that pull of, of the drums and the, the chanting and everything scared you. You were, you were scared of it. And, you know, you were going, at some stage you were going, but chemo's working. Why do we have to do the foo-foo and the woo-woo? It, it's, it's an amazing book and, and it's well written. But, I mean, you know, you've, you've, you've really put it together in such a way that you get, you get stuck, you get hooked in and sucked in and you, you can't stop. Uh, when we come back, though, we're going to be uh, – chatting a little bit more with my special guest, Sarah Bullen. Her book, which I highly recommend, is called Love and Above, A Journey into Shamanism, Coma and Joy. We'll be back in just a bit. And we're back. What's involved it is? I'm joined by Sarah Bullen. We're talking about her book, Love and Above, A Journey into Shamanism, Coma and Joy. Now, as, as, we, as we move on uh, through the story, um, your 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 husband does start to go downhill, um, and to me it was quite quite uh, heart wrenching and sad as, as to to what you you know having to go through that. But there again, there was there was this this sense of of spirit and 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 this this ancient uh, uh, way of doing things that was involved. Talk to me a little bit about that. So, yeah, so the one thing that, you know, it's interesting because many people say this book is so heartbreaking, but on another level, it's so light. And I think that that was very deliberate because just the title Love and Above already speaks of a journey that connects with something other than grief, sadness or disease. Um, and that was not yet happening at that point in the book, because, of course, it's a journey. Um and what happened then, and, and really the cancer journey is very tightly described, a lot of it in his own words and two diary extracts that he had written himself. Um, I, I move the reader really quickly through these places. Um, and 
it ends up four years later through his battle with cancer where the, the tumor comes back. And we really are in what is called the end game. I say, you know, it's it's back. There's there's no really real way he's going to beat it. And then, then what happened is so unexpected and so extraordinary. And it happened to me. I'd been dabbling in this world with him and I'd been attending all the events and I'd been developing a deep spiritual practice of my own. But at the same time, I was a working mother. My children were very needy. I had then a big job. I was the group editor of 10 magazines. I was high powered. I was kicking butt and I got a cold. It was, we were bedding down a magazine. It was the middle of a production deadline and I started to feel rather bad. Stay, uh, went to work that day. The next day, I messaged the office. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just not good. Please courier my laptop home so I can keep working. Um, and within 24 hours, I was in hospital. I was in ICU and I was on life support in a coma. With what is termed a lung blackout, and it's very similar, David, to I think what's happening in COVID, in which I had no breathing ability. My lungs had literally filled with fluid and had no ability to absorb oxygen. So I was in apoxia. My organs were already shutting down. Um, and I was put into this coma to ventilate me, to try and drain my lungs and try and find out what was going on in the body. Um, pneumonia was uh, suggested, a whole load of things. Um, of course, I knew none of that. All I knew was I'd left the house that morning. I'd left my husband sleeping in a bedroom up at the top where he was already in really the last few weeks of his life. And I didn't know that that was going to be the last time I was to see him conscious or alive. Um, and this crazy situation was playing out where my husband was in a bed, uh, dipping in and out of a coma from brain tumor in palliative care. And 10 kilometers down the road in Constantia Hospital, I was a fit, healthy, 36-year-old woman. And I was in a coma, suddenly fighting for my life. And a huge part of the book is really um, what happened to me in that coma. Because that coma and what happens to the soul when the body is out of commission and where I went to and what happened in what I'm going to call the spirit world that I entered. Um, and, you know, many years later, I look back and I see so clearly that it was what I suppose shamans call an underworld journey. It was a soul journey. It was a spirit journey. Um, but then at the time, I didn't know that. All I knew was I was a soul and a being fighting for my life. Um, and I was traveling into realms and worlds that I didn't understand. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> as, as, as I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm actually picturing this because, I mean, you know, you were, you high-powered job go-getter. You were, you were juggling all of these balls. You were keeping them up in the air. And suddenly all control um, got taken away from you. And, and, you know, that feeling of, I can't do this now. This, this, this can't be happening now. And kind of the universe said, well, guess what, my girl? It is happening now. Um, that in itself must have been uh, hectic. But just as, as we go through this book, I mean, in this, this coma stage, as you mentioned it, you know, um, the journey to the underworld, some people call it a hero's journey, whatever the case may be, um, there, was, there was learnings. I mean, you were then, as you say, you were the soul. And 
just give me some. I don't want to give it all away, but give me some of the stuff that happened to you during that time. Right. So because I was in a coma for so long, so it was close to four weeks that I was in a coma, a lot happened. Um, fortunately, when I came out of the coma and when I, and we'll talk about that later, when I started to be able to walk and talk and write and I started to, I remembered everything and wrote it down. Um, and I describe, and I've spoken on many near-death experience podcasts and shows over years since this happened. I just, I talk about the comas having many phases and the initial phase, David, was I was in a medically induced coma and I call it the world of nightmares. So I was in this weird twilight zone of, of, of crazy dreams and nightmarish scenarios and that lasted for some time. But after a while, I moved away from that and I'm just going to describe it as leaving my body. And in a very real way, I was actually literally floating around the hospital. I was occasionally looking at this body on the bed. I had absolutely no connection to it. I didn't know it was me. Um, and then over time, I started to move away and I very specifically left the hospital and I started to travel in a floating form, I'm going to put this, um, around Earth. So I was still in Earth. So I was, I was traveling overseas. I went into houses. I visited not people I know. So I'd already detached from anything that had to do with that person, Sarah, that mother, that wife, that sister. There was, I was no longer that. I was just a being. I had no name. I had no place. I had no destination. I'm not going to say it was a comfortable place to be. It was a slightly strange place to be. But as time progressed, and as, as I suppose as the weeks progressed, and the books uh, will start linking the reader, because obviously in the real world there were medical records, and I start to bring those in, what was actually happening to the body at the time, I moved further and further away. And I moved start what into what I'm going to call different worlds, um, other realms, and the one of the most profound ones I moved into was a place in which my husband was there. And the two of us were taken by angelic beings. And I'm going to use words angelic and not necessarily in the Christian sense, but beings of light. And we were put through a ceremony in which I said goodbye to him. Um, and okay. so, so that is quite detailed in the, in, in the book. Um, and, and readers can read all about it. But then I moved away. I was moving further and further each time and I was moving away and away and away. And then I was out in the universe and just in bliss and floating a, ble a beam of light and with no name, no place, no, no, no destination, but just blissful. Um, not knowing that this body down on the bed was really, really battling. I was actually, organs were shutting down. I was at that point given 10% chance of recovery um, because I'd been in a coma for so long. Um, and then something happened. I've, I've cut through a lot of the different stages of coma. And the only thing that I remember, and this is a very clear thought, out in that endless expanse of a universe very far away, was... Okay, I Sarah, had, yes. I'm going to stop you there. And I want to get into this when we come back, because this, to me, uh, was one of those things that sent chills right through my body. Uh, we are chatting to Sarah Bullen, author of Love and Above, A Journey into Shamanism, Coma and Joy, back in just a bit with Sarah. This is what's involved. So good to have you along with us.
And we're back. What's involved? My special guest, Sarah Bullen. Now, just before the break, we we were talking about uh, Sarah's uh, out-of-body experience, near-death experience, you could call it if you want to. Um, and she said she was floating away. And, and the reason I stopped is because I want to get into this. So you were there floating, Sarah. What happened? Moving further and further away, just no attachments to anything, any any ideas of anything. And something, a thought came to me. It was a call, a voice, a feeling. And, and, and the, the sentence was, get home. Now, in the real world, that very night, what had happened was my family, <clears throat> friends across the world had held a prayer circle. So I had a sister who was a Buddhist. I had another sister who was new agey. My brother in New Zealand is a Baptist. I had an entire Jewish side of my family. I have Muslim friends. It did not matter. I have agnostic friends. At the same time around the world, through churches, through temples that put these calls out and hundreds and hundreds of people held prayers for me. And I did not know that, of course, but what I did know was suddenly I was called out of the darkness and I knew I had to get home. Um, and very specifically in the book, you're going to start to read that that was the very next morning, medically, I started to turn the corner like fast. In the world I was in, which was um, still the world of spirit, I started to fight my way back to life. And um, that actually probably took probably a week. Um, I don't know if you've seen a movie, I'm sure we all have, of somebody coming out of a coma. It's nothing like that. Coming out of a coma is a terrifying experience in which you, you, you fight for consciousness and then you go back under into unconsciousness again. And so it is a very nightmarish space of waking and falling back under. Um, and at that point, and, and, and I'm, I'm sure David, you and all the listeners, I think at this point, she is hey, so hey, she are. Um, and on a level like I am, and you know, I'm open to, to energies and spirituality and I'm, I'm open-hearted and open-minded, but things that happened, you know, that just defied all explanation. Um, and one of the most special things, and, and really that this is a pivotal point in the book and where the message comes from and the, the life I started to lead was a spirit guide came to help me get back in my body because I was fighting my way back to that body on the bed in Constantia Berg Medic Clinic in ICU on life support. Um, and I didn't quite know how to get back. And so this being came and really helped me and, and really provided an interface and calmed me down and settled me. Um, and I'll read, I'll read from the little section of the book called Stage 8 of the Coma Waking Up. Um, and then he left me, I said. I was still fighting, moving in and out of consciousness, but the forest man left me. And before he did, he bent down and he kissed my forehead. He stroked my hair. What do I need to do? I asked him. He smiled, looked into my eyes and said, have more fun. I lay for a long time staring at him. Have more fun? Those three words caught in my throat. I wanted to spit them out. They were strange to me, rude even. Fun? What was that? This was not fun. Life was not fun. How simply dare he tell me that? And that was the last time I saw him in that in-between world. He's come back to me later and in many years since, but then he simply disappeared. And so I woke up and, you know, you know, David, it was really funny because funny maybe is the wrong word, when I came out of my coma, so I did wake up um, 
when I came out of my coma, um, the, you know, there was a there was a doctor called Eben Alexander, and he wrote a book called Proof of Life. I think maybe that was a movie with Russell Crowe. I can't remember, but he had been in a brain surgeon had been in a coma for three days, and he wrote this book and about you know he met God and he did all those things, angelic beings, and and so when I read that book, I thought like, was I cheated out of you know a near, this incredible experience, but. What I realized over time and as, as I started to integrate what I had learned and, and the messages I'd been given and that, that I hadn't been cheated, that these things that I'd been given, that that message was really at the heart of life. It was really at the heart of what it means to be in this human body where, where we just, we, we, we invested in struggle and pain and fear. And a door was beginning to open to me after that messaging and, and maybe a little bit later after the funerals and all those things where that word fun started to expand in my heart and become something much bigger that I was chasing and looking for. Yeah. The amazing bit for me though, Sarah, is, is the way that you write this and right at the beginning, you said, you know, um, waking up from a coma is not anything like it is in the movies. And I'd always thought, you know, you're in a coma, you know, nothing. And the next second you're awake and everything's hunky dory again. Um, but the way you describe it, I mean, it's just, <laughs> um, it is, it is a journey and, uh, it is a trial. Now we're going to go to a quick break. And then I think when we come back, Sarah, we're going to uh, wrap it up because I must be honest, I could sit and talk to you like this for hours because it is so captivating and so fascinating. But uh, we'll move into wrapping it up when we come back. This is What's Involved. My special guest is Sarah Bullen. You've got to read this book. Uh, it's called Love and Above, A Journey into Shamanism, Coma and Joy. We'll be back in just a bit. This is What's Involved. And we're back with my guest, Sarah Bullen. Okay, Sarah, let's jump a little bit um, ahead. In, in the book. And you've, you've gone through this process, you've, you've woken up, you've, you've starting to deal with the trauma, there's the loss of your husband. Where to from there? Husband had died. I was fighting to recover physically. I had to learn to breathe again. I had to learn to move my hands again. All your muscles atrophy in a long coma. I couldn't speak for six months because of my tracheotomy and holes in my throat. And I was sitting in this place in which everything I had been had left. All those ideas I had of who I was in the world, my, my beliefs, my importance, my career, my future, none of that was real anymore. Um, and I was having to, I think, sit in that place, which I call, you know, that the empty place, the waiting room of life in which I was just in a nothingness. And I was sitting going, well, who am I and what happens next? And it was a very strange thing. And I write very specifically in the book about people coming in and there was so much grief and trauma and sadness. This young man had died. I'd almost died. People were absolutely shocked. And I couldn't feel any of that. I was feeling something else. I wasn't feeling grief. I wasn't feeling trauma. I was feeling and I say in the book, the words were acceptance, delight, gratitude, grace, ecstasy, 
joy and just the unique privilege of being shown what it is not to live and then being given the gift of living again. And I think I sat there and I looked at my life and I thought, well, what do I do with all of this? And at the same time, I was very much still caught in, in what had gripped me for most of the book, which was fear, fear, worry, anxiety, stress, um, those human emotions that we live in so much of the time. And the one night after all this had happened, I sat there and I went, what is this fear I'm feeling? What is it? It's not, it's not about dying because that nearly happened. It's not about losing the person I love the most because that's really happened. And I, re- and I just really sat in fear and that really became my meditation and that messaging about have more fun started to really play in my mind. Um, and I realized that that was not the way I had played my life so far. I had not played and dabbled with those emotions, with gratitude, with bliss, with joy. I got stuck in convention. I got stuck in a path that had just swept me along and I decided I wanted to change that. And there's a specific moment I was, you know, my children were traumatized, highly traumatized. They were back at school, but just not coping. My son was having panic attacks. And there was a moment in which I went to a dinner party with all my friends, same people, because a year later, I just really started talking again and, you know, eating properly. I was desperately thin, all my hair had fallen out. I looked like a complete crazy person. And I sat all the same conversations, bottle of wine, talking about the traffic, talking about Vida Cafe and, you know, cold water swimming. And I, I rose above myself and I looked down and I thought, that is not you anymore. That person who lived that life, no. And then came the third part of the book, which is the journey of, well, how do you change that? How do I go from this, this mother, this conventional, how do I create a new story for myself? Um, And I did that by doing some fairly radical things because nobody at this point of the book is going to think I'm going to do anything ordinary. I'm not going to take the advice. I'm not going to listen to the psychologists. I'm not going to play safe. I'm not going to keep my children at school. I'm not going to stay on the meds. I'm not going to wait it out. I'm not going to say this too shall pass. I decided to disregard all of that. And I pulled both of my children out of school and I left my house and left my life. And I moved to a tiny Greek island, the island, as I say, of Tantra, of love, of joy, of Osho. I joined a meditation community and I started to create a new life for myself and write a whole new story that I was starting to live into. And that's where the book starts to move to in the last third. You know what? I, I, I kind of really, I want to go into it because um, it's it's amazing. I mean, just thinking, and again, this is where all my preconceptions got blown out of the water, which I think is important. Um, but you know, you, you talk about in, in in one of the one of the chapters. Um, you talk about Sappho sex and sannyasins, sannyasins. Sorry. Um, and I'm like, what on earth is this woman doing? You know, and then it moves along. Um, and, you know, you, you, you start to, to really live. And the children, you've, you've taken them out of school. But then something again happens, doesn't it? Uh, that, are you talking about the very afterword of the book? The very afterword of the book, before right. we wrap it up and say right. 
So the book very much ends on the Greek island, and and that really is the end of the journey. And what I mentioned in the afterword of the book was that my journey with fear was not actually over yet, because four years after my husband had died of cancer, I was diagnosed with cancer myself. In the middle of this existence I was creating for myself, in the middle of these vows I'd taken to say yes to life, yes to joy, yes to adventure, um, yes to bliss, yes to the good things, um, I suddenly got a cancer diagnosis. I found a lump in my breast standing on a, a Greek island in a bikini in the middle of summer. And that word I had run away from, I'd put so far away from anything I wanted, had come back to me. And at this time it was in my own lap. And the reason this is just at the very end of the book is it was also some time ago. And it really is just, I think all that work I've done in conquering fear, this, this was the even bigger test. Can I get through my own cancer and keep some, some, some connection to something bigger and wiser? And I will say to you that I have had moments in my cancer journey, which, you know, was quite some, also some time ago in which the fear has threatened to drown me. And yet I found a way through and did find a way through in which I could just reconnect to that stuff. I could really use all the principles I used and, and, and find the light. And, you know, I can say that I went through my chemo five, six years ago and I went through my journey with just openness and, and, and connection. And there was fear at times, but not fear of dying, not fear of dying, my fear of leaving my children as orphan. So, Sarah, we come to this part um, of your journey. And let, let, I say part, and I say it's, it's like a rest stop. And at this stage, I generally say to my guests, okay, what's next? But you fitted so much living into these years of your life and your journey. Um, I kind of almost feel bad to go, what's next? But let's go with that. What is next for Sarah? Well, you know, David, this book has really captured imagination. And um, what's really exciting for me, you know, is this is also what I do. My work is working with people's stories and representing books. Um, I'm, I'm very privileged in that mine has touched so many people and also capture the imagination of international audiences. We use Nyangas, whatever we call them. So we're very familiar with this kind of stuff, but internationally, I think this has touched a nerve. It's very exciting. And the, the, the fear we've lived in for a long time and the way we've viewed illness and, and medicalization. So I'm being pulled on some book tours. I'm going to be in Greece. I'm going to be in Italy. I'm going to be running a retreat in Greece while I'm there, my island I've always been at. I'm going to the USA. I'm going to Kenya. Um, so very exciting things are happening. I'm actually running a beautiful retreat with writers up in the Botswana bush later in this year as well. So it seems just this beautiful, open, exciting future is happening. Um, you know, and also being that cancer survivor myself, um, it's just so fantastic. And I, and I just grab at anything, anything that says yes to my soul. Um, and, and not just people who've had the big stuff, um, David, you know, that, that have to start practicing this. You don't have to have cancer or be in a coma or have a near-death experience um, to go yes to the good and no to the fear um, and start choosing deliberately that and making habits. So my habits are to chase adventure, to say yes to 
joy and delight and good things. Um, and that's where I'm going to be. Of course, I'm a literary agent. I represent writers and authors. I run writing mentorships. I work with people on their stories. So the future looks, the next few years look quite great. And I think that is fantastic. And I think you deserve every bit of joy that you can suck out of this life. Um, Sarah, the book itself, um, where is that available? Most good bookstores online? Most good bookstores online. Lutz.co.za has a great price on it, but it's, it's pretty much all over. So please grab it. Yeah. And you can connect with me um, if you have questions, or if you want to look at some of the photos and the behind the scenes of the whole thing at um, sarahbullen.com. Um, and there's so much more there backstory. Wonderful stuff. And you, you know what I think is amazing about the timing of this book, uh, just before we do say goodbye to you, Sarah, is that I've been saying over the last couple of years now, it's almost as though there is this wave of consciousness that is, is sweeping uh, the planet. People are becoming more conscious. They're becoming more spiritual. And, and you know, a book like this just kind of reaffirms all of that, that there is, there is more and life can be best lived with love and with joy. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's the takeaway that I got personally from this book is, is, you know, it's, it's not as bad as you think it is. And there is great potential, great possibility. All you got to do is live a little more and love a lot more. Absolutely. And, and I, and one of, you know, I just want to end with at some point saying, you know, this is life, you know, this and I say it's wild and it's expensive and it's terrible and it's beautiful, but this is it. It's not getting over. It's living it. It's being in it. Um, and that's the practice. Wonderful stuff. If you'd like to connect with Sarah, remember sarahbullen.com. Sarah is S-A-R-A-H and Bullen, B-U-L-L-E-N, sarahbullen.com. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time out and, and having a chat and also a huge thank you for writing this book and sharing these experiences. I think it's going to touch lives all over the world. Thanks, David. Here we go. And it wraps it up. My guest there was Sarah Bullen. What a book. What a journey. Uh, you do yourself have a go out and get it, okay? It's uh, Love and Above, A Journey into Shamanism, Coma and Joy. Wraps it up for this edition of What's Involved. To each and every one of you, take care. Look after yourselves and thank you for listening.